Hello and welcome back to the Future World Life podcast. And today is the first of a double header this week with two founders who have pivoted careers and had great successes over the past few years with their new businesses. Today's guest is Stephanie Nardi Olsen. She's the founder of We Are Rosie. And after a decade in advertising sales working for companies like Microsoft and Yahoo, Stephanie recognized an industry right for disruption. After returning to work following the birth of her first child, she experienced for herself the lack of options for people wanting or needing to work flexibly and independently. Her mission with We Are Rosie is to gather all of these people up, market them and give them the career and life they want. Sounds good to me. And founded in 2017, the company preceded the changes wrought by COVID. And it's fair to say Stephanie and her team were perfectly positioned to provide the tools and the opportunities for thousands of people who decided it's the perfect time to switch to freelancing or going it alone. Since then, she's won multiple awards for her work and she's leading one of the fastest growing organisations in advertising. We had a great conversation, covered a wide range of topics, including the challenges of scaling a business while raising a young family, the importance of self-care for founders and leaders, why community is key to the growth of We Are Rosie and why flexibility is vital to the future of work. We also talk broadly about the growth of freelance fractional roles, the skills required to manage and work remotely, and what it took for Stephanie to move from corporate to startup life. There's also a really interesting insight in there, which I've spoken to a few people about. Actually, it keeps coming up again and again when I talk to people about pivoting their careers, and that's why a six-month runway of savings makes sense when founding a company or going freelance. Then building on that, Stephanie explained how to take the first steps into going alone as a solo or entrepreneur. So loads to take in. It's a really great listen and really inspiring story. And We Are Rosie is definitely a company you should check out. So if you enjoy listening, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Take a look at the Future Work Life newsletter as well. I'll be writing about some of these themes and my conversation with Steph over the coming weeks. Finally, as you probably know by now, my book is going to be out in January. Work Life Flyer will feature Steph and also tomorrow's guest, Jeff Kaufman, who's the founder and CEO of Trint. So make sure you pre-order your copy now. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Steph. So look, Stephanie, it's such a pleasure to speak to you today. I am fascinated by what you've built so far, but it strikes me that you've had quite a significant amount of growth quite quickly. And I'm really intrigued by how you have managed to sort of design your work life and fit a growing business in with family life. Yeah. First, Ollie, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's such a good question. It isn't, it hasn't always been beautiful. You know, it's been a bit of a mess most of the time, if I'm being honest, you know, I have two young kids and, um, my girls are six and eight years old. And it struck me recently that now with We Are Rosie being four years old, both of my kids have spent the majority of their life growing up amidst this business. Mm. Um, and it's been really hard on them. You know, I talk a lot about, uh, family being stakeholders in businesses, particularly for early employees and for founders and, and you know, even um, investors in some instances, um, my kids are stakeholders. Like they have shared in the sacrifice and that's something that I have to grapple with every day. Um, but I try to think about it as seasonal. Mm. So for instance, Q4 is going to be insane at We Are Rosie every Q4 all the time. And so I try to find times when I can ebb and flow the amount of effort and energy and attention I'm giving the business so that I can uh, focus on my children, right? Which in in our business is often summertime, right? So June Mm. and July are our slowest times of year in terms of, um, you know, number of volume of things coming our way. So, you know, 
it hasn't always been beautiful, but I try to approach everything in terms of thinking about it as seasons. And I have my really busy seasons and I do everything I can to prepare um, and plan ahead so that I can be present. But it's it's a mess, you know, and sometimes I get okay. it right. And sometimes I'm up at 3 a.m. thinking, oh, my gosh, am I a terrible mother to these kids? What are they going to what are they going to talk to their therapist about in 20 years? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's a it's a mess, but we're figuring it out as we go. Yeah, I think the fact that you even wake up at 3 a.m. and think that probably discounts the, you know, the concern that you're not really focused on them. So that's, but that's always something which is easier to say when you're one step removed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, what, what about yourself? Because, I mean, again, it's so easy in the situation that you're in. I've been through similar circumstances with young kids in a growing business. And typically in that situation, you do then put the kids first. And sometimes to the detriment of your relationship with a partner, but very often to the detriment of yourself. I mean, do you, do you also have to think about the way you design your days or your weeks to give yourself a bit of space and just a bit of time to recalibrate and, you know, look after your own physical or mental health? Yeah. You know, I don't have a throttle. This is something that I've learned about myself in my, you know, in my thirties is that, I really struggle. I'm either like all the way 110 miles an hour or I'm like passed out because I can't move anymore, which isn't a mm. healthy way to live, right? Like there's I need to learn to have that balance and you know, this is this is a lot of the example I was given growing up. You know, my father immigrated to the states with a third grade education and built, you know, a life for his three children and and for all of us to be able to go to college and all of that and he he worked really hard all the time. I mean, he worked 60, 70 hours a week forever to provide for us earning an hourly wage. And so I have a lot of that in me, you know, I, and that's yeah. not lost on me. Like I definitely have inherited his work ethic. Um, but I'm really focused on trying to stop that kind of pattern in our family because I don't want my girls to grow up thinking that that's how it has to be. And so, you know, I, my coach always tells me, she's like, Steph, the thing that you're put here on earth school to figure out is how to have balance which is a constant um, challenge for me and somebody, frankly, with my personality and my drive. Um, and I have lost myself a, a lot over the last four years, but I'll say yeah. in the last six months, you know, I have the most incredible leadership team in place now. Um, and this thing is just, it has a life outside of me, you know, like it's a weird thing to see a, something that you created kind of grow beyond you. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of ways we are Rosie is like, an independent teenager. And so it's not, it, it's not life or death for me every day showing up because I have all of these brilliant people working here now, almost 50 people that are, are just keeping it pushed forward. And so this is the first time, particularly in the last six months, I'll say where I am really focused on like, I'm going to work out, you know, once or twice a week, I am going to physical therapy for some of the physical ailments that have plagued me that are honestly their entrepreneurship sicknesses. Like I have a herniated disc in my neck. It is from running this company period. Yeah. Like there's, there's no other way to put it. So I'm getting better over time and I'm really conscious of it, but yeah, like it has been an incredible sacrifice and you're right. You know, I've put, I put myself last, um, in a lot of ways, which, you know, if I could do it differently, I probably would. But I also think it's important to acknowledge, you know, I've been with my husband for 10 years none of this is possible without him, right? Like one of the gifts of my life is that this man has never once made me feel guilty, not an eye roll, not a sigh, not a shrug. When I'm like, I got to do this thing on a Sunday afternoon or like, mm. I'm not going to be home until eight o'clock tonight. 
he has viewed it as a season and he's like, this is the season for you to swing for the fences and chase your dreams. And I've got you and I'll support you, which has been, I mean, obviously a game changer. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It makes a huge difference, doesn't it? I'm interested how community plays a role because my sense is that community is really central to We Are Rosie in terms of the business model. It's it's about bringing people together and the shared purpose and being able to complement one another and being able to deliver projects for clients. Does the idea of community, is it a significant part of the culture that you've built? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, you know, for me personally, community is critically important and and I don't need a large community to bolster me, but I have kind of built my advisory board and, you know, my personal board of advisors and even the team around me that I lean on a lot, you know, and um, I'm a really transparent leader for, for better or worse. You know, I only ever managed a team for about a year before I started this company. So I didn't come into building We Are Rosie with like a decade of leadership experience and man, learning to lead is like a lifelong thing, you know, like I, I have so much to learn. And honestly, almost everybody on my leadership team has more leadership experience than I do. I think all of them do significantly more. And so we all learn from each other and we try to be really open about how we're feeling and how things are going, because honestly, building a business this quickly, you know, I I think about We Are Rosie as like scaling, like a venture backed company, but bootstrapped. Yeah. It's no joke. Like we have been in the trenches together. We have been through some shit. We have done really hard things. We have cried on each other's shoulders. We have celebrated incredible victories. Um, and we we have that sense of community internally as well. And I, I think that that has trickled uh, down and across the organization as well to just kind of know, look, we're in a pandemic. <laughs> we're building one, one of the fastest growing companies in marketing. This is not easy. Um, but we stay galvanized around our mission and vision. And that is, that really creates that sense of community and just kind of this culture where you're having a hard time, like, please speak up. If you Mm. feel like something doesn't, doesn't sit well with you, please speak up. And we reiterate that as much as possible. And it goes all different directions, you know, within the company. I'm interested to dig into why, that growth has happened so quickly. And I suppose within the context of COVID, which you mentioned there, how does the business model reflect the changing dynamics in in the marketing industry and just broadly within the job market? Yeah, I think of COVID as accelerating the inevitable. Like we were on this track, people were tired of corporate America. I mean, we really hadn't evolved corporate work in over a hundred years. Like the nine to five Monday through Friday was kind of invented and codified over a hundred years ago. And at that time it was actually an improvement in terms of the number of hours people were expected to work, but we've just held on to that. And these were like factory workers that it was created for, but like, we're not manual laborers in corporate, right? We are intellectual laborers and we haven't changed the way we work to embrace, you know, the evolution of technology and the type of work that we're doing in corporate. And so I think that we were just so long overdue for kind of um, evolutionizing the way that work happens. So that was kind of sitting there and people were asking about it. Like people were saying, gosh, can I do a job share? Can I mm. go down on my, the number of hours that I work after I have a baby? Can I work remotely because I'm caring for a sick parent? And across the board in marketing, almost unequivocally, they're being told no. They're being told it's impossible. 
And there were so many people sitting in a very frustrated seat, right? They need to work. They want to work. They care about this industry, but they couldn't work in a way that made sense for their lives. And COVID lifted the veil, right? All of the stuff that we had been told was bullshit. All of the excuses that we had heard, all, you know, the irony of like the companies that have created the technology that we all use to work from home, we're not embracing a work from home <laughs> within their own, you know, four walls. And so to see them go virtual first, and now they'll be more committed to creating tech that will enable this way of working, whether it's fractional or seasonal or remote or whatever, um, bodes well for all of us. And so COVID lifting that veil, I, you know, I think it's, we're not going to be able to, to go back because we've now all seen and there's so much power and the employees under, having that knowledge of like, well, actually, I've been doing my job just fine for two years from Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's really um, accelerated this process of companies adopting flex work. Um, and we're headed in that direction. And yes, we are Rosie has benefited from that. You know, we, we saw this trend before COVID, we were willing to bet our, our souls that if we could fight hard enough, we could create opportunity for people to work in a way that made sense for their lives. And we were in the perfect place at the perfect time when COVID hit and more and more people became open to thinking about new ways of work. Yeah. I'm curious about those companies, which, have really seen this as a positive new way of working because I guess there will have been many which will have thought well, we have to adapt and we've been forced to adapt so this is as good as it could be before but I suspect there's many more which have realized that actually by unlocking this new portion of the workforce they could get access to a much higher level of talent we were motivated in a different way have you got any interesting stories you could share about how people have come together to work in a different way, which has made a big impact on, on, on businesses. Yeah. So uh, the last business trip I took before COVID was to Seattle to meet with these huge brands there. And the conversation that we were having was, you cannot say that you want world-class talent working on your brand, but also everyone needs to live in Seattle, which was like mm. a whole, what? <laughs> like, are we really? And so now, because they've partnered with We Are Rosie and all of our talent is remote and they sometimes have talent sitting in 10 or 15 states through We Are Rosie. They're realizing like, oh my gosh, we never would have given this person a chance that lives in Kansas because they are caring for a family member that's unwell. And now they're really recognizing, dang, we have to open up our aperture in terms of the type of talent that we're considering for any role in our company, whether it's flex talent or full-time. And so we've definitely seen that kind of adoption happening for sure. And you're right. There are some people that cannot wait to go back to the old world and will like go. Change is hard. Like it is human nature to want the comfort of something that you've known forever. And that's understandable. But I'm really, I feel really optimistic about the number of people that are championing this way of work because at the end of the day, there's so few people that can't see themselves in this business model. That can't say, gosh, I could have used this when I wanted needed to move to Indiana for six months or when I wanted to get out of New York City or wanted to work 20 hours a week. Like almost everybody can think of a time in their career where this could be beneficial for them. And so yeah. now we've got all these people pushing it forward. What about skills? Because I think we all had to 
adopt a new way of working clearly when we have shifted to being based at home. And I think understanding about how to use digital tools just significantly improved in a short space of time. But over the longer term, I'm thinking, are there certain skills which are required to work in this way? For example, there's a news report yesterday or the day before with Eric Schmidt talking about the benefits of being back in the office and talking about, you know, it's just inferior when you're managing a team remotely compared to managing in the office. Now, we're probably in agreement about the, the lack of imagination that demonstrates about being able to work in, in a remote fashion. But I'm interested, there are inevitably different skills required in order to be able to manage a group of people remotely compared to when you see them every day in the office. Does that feed through into the type of experience that either are coming, you know, people coming to the platform or the demand for certain types of skills from businesses? Yeah, this is really interesting. I don't think that Eric Schmidt is completely wrong. I didn't see the report, but I think it is really hard to manage remotely. You know, and I look at our own business. I mean, we're 50 people in four years. Most of us have never met each other. And there are ramifications to that, right? It it makes conflict resolution more difficult. It makes getting to know people in a certain way sometimes more difficult. But I would say it's often harder from a traditional manager standpoint than it is for the talent. The talent is like, this is amazing. I want to do this forever. And so that goes to your question of like, man, how do we make it easier on managers and what are the skills that they need, but also that the people that they're managing need to help us transition into this way of working? Because we can't just port everything that we used to do over, right? Um, It'll be interesting to see how we evolve kind of management principles in a remote first world. I think that's like a whole field of study I, I want to see a lot more from. But the two kind of skill sets that come to mind for me are written communication. When you are working remotely, written communication is like the number one skill. You have to be persuasive in written communication. You have to be thoughtful and succinct. Um, These things are so critical because it is more difficult to just go walk over to somebody's desk, right? Obviously, you're now having to write everything that you would say. So you lose a lot of the nuance and the implied communication that comes from body language and things like that. And God knows we don't need everything to be a video call anymore. Mm. But how is your written communication helping you communicate and advocate for your ideas within an organization and being able to collaborate with others? So I think that that's really important. Um, The other thing I would say is like people need to get real about um, who they are and how they like to work. And we have to take some personal responsibility for that. And I have so much admiration for people at We Are Rosie who say like, it's really hard for me to work at 9 a.m., right? Like I, I just have a different rhythm and there's nothing wrong with that. But like, man, if I can just start my day at 1030, guys, I'm going to be so much more productive. And how do you create space for that within an organization, particularly a remote team and their contingencies and collaboration needs? And so do you block time in the middle of the day? Like we all agree we're going to be online at these hours and then you trust people to do their work otherwise. But all of this requires people to really have like an innate understanding of what will make them successful and to own that, right? And not kind of throw your hands up like, this isn't working for me. We're all experimenting right now and we all have to bring ideas to the forefront. And this should be a collaboration because we want everybody to feel included and represented in this future of work we're all building together. But I think that kind of sense of ownership of your own kind of what you need to to thrive in this environment is important. And your leadership team should want to hear all of that from you too. It's a great point. I, I think that raises a question about skills, actually, and the acquisition of new skills, because 
There, I, I, I know completely what you mean, but I think some people are better inherently at managing their time and also speaking up than others. You know, this, and this was my experience of managing people, you know, for, for years. It isn't necessarily true that every new entrant into the workplace is, doesn't know how to manage their time. I mean, it's just not true. But very often you don't necessarily have an innate sense about how to prioritize your time when you haven't been doing a job for a while. I think that's just something you develop over time. I wonder, do you, are, are managers having to replace some of the skills they might have had before with the type of, sort of softer coaching type skills that would help people craft, uh, well, design their time in a better way, but also understand how to communicate upwards and you know downwards to other members of staff to make sure that we can work, work in, in a way which is synchronized at the right time and asynchronous at others. Yeah, 100%. I mean, for all the reasons that you just mentioned, but also because we're two years into a pandemic mm. and like managers and leaders are also part therapist, right? They're <laughs> also part empathetic shoulder to lean on. And you can't separate those two things. Like if we can't say like, just shut it off, right? Like Mm -hmm. we are human beings and we're not robots and we're not these binary people walking around. So I think empathetic leadership is really important. And I would look at our team at We Are Rosie, particularly our leadership team, a huge part of their job for the last two years has been ensuring that people feel heard and that people are heard, right? Because as I said, like we're building this together. I don't want to sit in an ivory tower and tell everybody what's best for this company moving forward. I have to hear from the people that are on the front lines every day and the people that are joining this company and have these brilliant outside perspectives. And so, you know, we have to build it together, but you're right. There are some people who are going to need some encouragement to speak up and are going to, you know, we're also going to have to put the channels in place. Like we have an anonymous um, HR channel that you can just send, you know, anything you want, but it's going to be kept anonymous. Um, And then we also have our managers asking people like, hey, how are you feeling? Let's do pulse surveys, like tell us what we could be doing better. And so there's a lot of different ways that you have to deploy communication, particularly in a remote organization, to give people that have different personalities or preferences all an opportunity to speak up. Yeah. You said there that you only had a year's worth of management experience before you started the company. I mean, did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Was this the natural step or or did it just come out of just you identified a problem and you just had to solve it? What was the chain of events? Yeah, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Like I've always loved kind of this feeling of being the master of my destiny. I have like a very high theme of like internal locus of control. My life is what I make it. It is, you know, these things are happening because of decisions that I've made, good or bad. Um, And I have that high kind of personal responsibility theme that lends well to entrepreneurship. And so I've always been interested and I I joke, I'm like, the first business I bootstrapped was college, right? I had like 10 jobs to pay for college. Mm -hmm. And that was like a game to me, like figuring out how to pay for college and like graduate without debt while getting good grades so I could get a job. Like it felt like a game. Like I felt um, lit up by that, even though it was really hard at times. But Mm. that's a lot of the thinking that entrepreneurs have to have, right? You're balancing different priorities. You have to look long-term and short-term and think about it all. And so- it's always been kind of a core personality theme, I would say for me. Um, but then when I graduated from college, I got this amazing job at Microsoft. And then I went to work at AOL and I was making $300,000 a year by the time I was 24. So it's really hard <laughs> to go yeah. back 
at that age and say, you know, I'm going to go swing for the fences. I had more money than I could ever, you know, spend. I didn't know what to do with it, with it all. And so I had the the typical kind of corporate golden handcuffs at that point and Mm. kept trying to find interesting ways for me to like use this entrepreneurial spirit, but also have that security because financial security is important to me. Um, And so I went to work at some startups and I was like, let's see what's going on over here, you know, later on in my career. And that's where I just, I was like, oh my gosh, I've, for, for my whole life, I've always kind of thought the people building businesses have something that I don't have. They're smarter than me. They, you know, they will work harder than me. There's just something about them that like, they're like these mythical creatures to me. I like admired them so much. And I, I had in my mind kept them separate from myself, but working at a couple startups, getting to know the CEOs really well, I really, my light bulb moment was like, they're not any different than me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they just went for it. Yeah. So that seed was planted. And then, you know, I, I had a really rough experience working at a company at a, a, a nightmare boss. And um, that was kind of it for me. I was like, you know, like I have all this money. I've got, you know, this great career. Um, it's not particularly fulfilling for me. Um, I was working in advertising sales at the time. Maybe this is my chance to go do it, you know, and maybe yeah. this, this ch- challenging experience I had with this boss was actually the, the kick in the butt I needed. Like it made me so uncomfortable that I was like, you know what? Forget about the money. I'm yeah. going to go build a startup. Like, I just want to be happy. Like I had that whole moment. And so um, that was it. Right. I, I, I quit my job and I talked to my husband for a while and said, gosh, I, I have this idea. And like, I really want to pursue it. And we sat down and we looked at finances and said, okay, Steph, you've got six months to figure out if this is like a viable thing. Like, mm. just go try to do it. And we put $10,000 in and that was the beginning of We Are Rosie. Amazing. That's great. It's so interesting. I've interviewed so many people for the book that I'm writing, but also the podcast. And six months is, is the number. It's almost always six months. And actually what's really fascinating is then you dig a bit deeper and you realize you think it's six months, but actually very often you stretch it further because your lifestyle adapts and you can cut we do. your outgoings far more than you initially think you do, which means actually you could probably get away with three months. I'm not suggesting that anybody do that. I think six months is a good number because also that's the right amount of time to give it a chance, test out the ideas, know whether it's a goer or not. And, but it's just, it's so consistent. And so at six months, what progress had you made? You know, at six months, was it crystal clear? Oh yeah, this is it. Or had you any doubt that you'd made the wrong decision? I never doubted that I made the right decision. Um, six months did get extended to two years, right? I went over two years without taking a paycheck and you're exactly right. You know, when we started, I was like, oh, we could never go without my pay for more than six months. That would be insane. And Mm. then, you know, you start to think like, gosh, I feel really happy. And you know, what's interesting. I'll say the happier you are, the less money you spend. Like, Mm. I don't know how much money I was spending just to try to like feel good about this job I had that I hated, you know? And so once I was doing work that lit me up, like our expenses naturally declined. Um, And so, yeah, it it definitely did get extended. And then I'll say after six months, we had landed a massive project with a holding company that was offboarding a piece of business. We had 10 people on the project. um, And I knew there was something magical here. I'd scoped myself on that project 
as an account person, like God bless account people. I should, I should not have done that. And I, should not, I didn't even really know at that time. I've never worked at an agency, like what an account person does, but man, they're like the glue. So, um, I scoped myself as the account person. I got to know the client really well. I got to know these 10 Rosies and four different time zones really well. And we were on this six month project and that was the magic. Like I saw the way yeah. this team of people that had never worked together before came together. They drove better media performance for this account than the agency had where they had had the account for decades. Um, and I knew I was like, gosh, there's something really magical here. And to be in that position, that really painful position of being scoped on this project while trying to grow the business. Um, but to have that front row seat to our Rosies and our, our first Rosies, many of whom are still working for us and the client was just such a gift because I was mm. like, there is something really magic here. I knew we had to keep going. Tell me about that magical experience, because I think what people listening will be fascinated by is this is writ large what it means to have a distributed team who may never have met each other before but suddenly you've got access to people who maybe got a slightly higher skill level or level of experience that you would previously have been able to employ because they're based where they want to be based and they have more autonomy over their time so just describe to me how it can come together in that way in order to be able to outperform an agency who's had that account for 10 years. How does that happen? What, what was happening in the virtual room when you were working together? Yeah, you know, people stepped up, right? Like we all had this common goal. We all, and, and honestly, they were all kind of galvanized by the mission of We Are Rosie because these mm. were all people who were many times kind of running their own one-person consultancy or one-person freelance shop. Right. And they wanted to be able to do that forever because they loved the autonomy and freedom and the creativity of being in that position. But their fear was, I'm not going to have the next client and then I'm going to have to go take a regular job. And I really don't want to, but if I can't fill my client pipeline, that's going to be the end result. So We yeah. Are Rosie shows up on the scene and says, we want to prove to the world that this way of working makes sense. And we want to fill your pipeline for you so that you can work in a way that makes sense for your life. So people were really galvanized by that mission um, and so excited because so often freelance talent is kind of treated as second-class citizens if they're kind of dropped in a big organization. Our clients have done a great job of changing that, but that was kind of the old way of thinking. And they didn't get to work with teams of other freelancers. Like that was mm. really cool. So to say, here's 10 people, you all have this thing in common, right? You've all raised your hand to work in this way and have this brilliant skill set. Um, many from some from the agency side, some from the client side, some have worked on the biggest brands in the world. Some have only worked on hyper local brands, but for everyone to come together and we just had calls every morning and we talked about it. I mean, it was crazy, Ollie. It was a, it was a QSR brand. And so we were launching over a hundred media campaigns every month <laughs> with 10 people that had never touched this brand before. And yeah. transparently an agency that wasn't largely invested in our success. We were in a, in a bit of a way thrown to the wolves because the agency wasn't defending the business. It was up for review. And so they were kind of like, just give it to these Rosies and like keep the lights on so we can fulfill our contractual mm -hmm. obligation. So we had that kind of like, we have to figure it out on our own. And everybody had that entrepreneurial spirit, which is such a gift for all of our Rosies. And we rolled up our sleeves and helped each other out. And people were mentoring other people. People were calling their friends that still worked at agencies to figure out if, you know, Facebook ads manager was down that day or if they were just seeing it. And, you know, people kind of rallied around this team 
um, and within the team. And man, it was it was it was not easy, um, but we did it, and we were all so proud at the end. And we had bonded over this like crazy experience of tackling this project right out of the gates together. That's brilliant. I'm assuming that you've always been comfortable about talking about the mission in public. I come across quite a lot of founders who've maybe come from a background where they've been the an operator. They might have been solving the problem on the ground and they can identify there's a, an opportunity. And I think they're pretty good at managing teams and managing pipeline even in some cases, but they're not necessarily great or that confident about coming out and talking about the purpose and talking about that problem that they're solving. How did you adapt to that? Did it just, were you so inspired that you were just happy to take any opportunity to do that? Or did it take some time to build the confidence to, to do things like this, to come out and sit on a podcast and just talk about where Rosie and the, the bigger mission? It has definitely taken time. So I hated public speaking when I started We Are Rosie and nobody believes me, but I'm an introvert who can't stop talking. And so it is really intimidating for me to speak. Podcasts are easier for me, but I've been getting all these incredible invitations to speak to like 300 people. And Ollie, I'll, I'll like feel like I'm going to throw up for three days before that happens. <laughs> but I'll say yes now. So when I started We Are Rosie, yeah. I would have just been like, oh no, like I have a, I have a haircut or something. I can't do it. Um, but it's been an evolution for me. And I realized the reason that public speaking was so difficult for me, particularly around work things prior to starting We Are Rosie, was that I didn't have the passion and I yeah. felt like in order to be a good public speaker, I would have to kind of manufacture passion that felt inauthentic to me. And living inauthentically is something that I've increasingly gotten uncomfortable with as I've gotten older. And it's certainly part of the reason I started We Are Rosie. And so when I started the company and we start getting press, I mean, it was really hard for me. I was like, please, God, don't make me do this. Like, I know I need to. It's like my responsibility as the founder to share the story. And we have this great story but it felt really scary and it felt really vulnerable, you know, yeah. like the more of yourself and um, the personal story behind We Are Rosie that you put out there, it feels vulnerable, right? And mm. and nobody loves that feeling. So I've gotten better. I say um, courage is a muscle and I've had to exercise my courage muscle every day for the last four years. And I, I find myself saying yes to things before I can talk myself out of it. Um, but I will always try to talk myself out of it even now, but I, I have now gotten so good at just being like, yes. And then I'm like, don't talk yourself out of it. Like you're going to do it. You're so right. Saying yes matters. Do you think that's a, a necessary component of your job? Do you think every leader should be doing that? Or do you think again, if it doesn't feel authentic to you to be putting yourself out there, you shouldn't. Where do you sit on yeah. it? Is it just a responsibility to, to lead from the front? It's a, it's an ambiguous answer because in a perfect world, every leader has a really solid why for mm. the work that they're doing. In reality, that's not the case, right? And sometimes it's just like, I need to put my kids through college and this is the best sure. way to do that, right? Which is not particularly motivating for your team. So in those instances, you know, you can find other really meaningful ways to lead your team through coaching and like find meaning in other ways. Um, if you have a strong why tie to the work that you're doing, I think that it, you should share it. You know, if you're comfortable and like, I've learned that be while being vulnerable is really scary, it has galvanized people around me and around this business that are aligned with the work that we're doing. So 
I, the, the louder and prouder I am about why we do what we do and what our intentions are as a business, we turn some people off, but man, the people that come around will lift us up forever. And mm. I'm perfectly okay with that. Like I'm perfectly okay not being everything to everyone and accepting that like as a leader, part of your job is not to be liked by everybody and not to be appreciated necessarily, but I want to attract the people that resonate with the work that we're doing. And so, yes, it is part of my job to talk about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah, hundred percent. I think having a point of view, it is as much about the people who you're not for as those that you are for. So I think that, that again, it takes, that takes a little bit of getting used to, doesn't it? Because it's hard not to want to be liked by everybody. And uh, certainly when it's your business, you take it personally. I think it's very hard to separate the two. But yeah, it's very one, hard. One thing I'd say, actually, just picking up what you mentioned was interesting because it isn't, not everybody has that intense purpose that you clearly have for your business. And and I think that's characteristic of an entrepreneur, a founder, that you really believe you've got to believe in what you're doing. Otherwise it's really hard to sustain the performance for, for, for years. But I think that what you mentioned there, let's say somebody doesn't share the why that's inherent within the business. I think talking about what does give them meaning every day, coaching people and bringing people through the business and making them better. I think that's something to shout about as well, actually. So I suppose it's just another perspective. If you the, Talking about the benefits of working in the business doesn't always have to be about the problem you're solving for clients. It can be about the opportunities you're creating for the, the, the employees. So it's just another angle to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. One, one last question. Clearly, saying we are Rosie Up has been, it's been a lifetime in the making, but it's going incredibly well. But it's, it's also comes with its challenges, as we discussed, in terms of time and pressure. Are there any bits of advice you would give other people who are thinking about making that jump but can't quite bring themselves to hand that resignation in and start the business that they always wanted to start? And I suppose as an extension of it, are organizations like We Are Rosie an opportunity, a bridge between working within a big corporate and starting a business of their own? Yeah. Um, I'll start with the the latter half of that question. Yeah. So we have so many entrepreneurs on our platform, whether it's like a three-person consultancy, or we even have a woman who's building a beauty marketplace and she's raising venture capital. And she really wanted tech experience to build this marketplace and to have a better POV for her business. And like, we plugged her in on a project with Microsoft. Like, is there anything better for her to have that kind of front row seat in the tech world that's going to make her a better entrepreneur? So yes, We Are Rosie is definitely a bridge and a compliment because we have so many entrepreneurs who are like, I'm missing this skill set. Can We Are Rosie yeah. help me get some of Great this, idea. right? On a project basis. So yes. Um, and then in terms of advice, I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I think I've seen people over and over again overestimate their financial limitations in starting a business. And I don't want to say that kind of flippantly because I was in an enormously privileged position to start We Are Rosie, like period. I had made a million dollars a year before I started the company. Not everybody's in that position. Um, but I think getting real about what's important to you and trying to expand your mind to imagine what you would really need if you were internally happy, which you're giving yourself a shot to find when you go out on your own and like chase this dream. Um, because I have found that I was filling a hole with uh, physical goods 
that was empty in me from a spiritual standpoint, because mm. the work I was doing was not aligned with, you know, my values. So I think just kind of create the space to imagine that and then realize how many people want to help, man. Like I'm a solo founder, but like, I didn't build this business alone. Like I've had so many people come out of the woodwork. Um, once I told them what I was doing and really in the early days and offer to help and send people my way and connections and use their social capital to help me be successful. So keep in mind all the relationships that you've cultivated over the years. And if you're young in your career, go build those relationships and, and pay attention to them long-term. You know, I stay in touch with almost everybody, like all of my former managers that I've loved and I've learned so much from, like they're a text message away, even from 10 years ago. And so, you know, just really pay attention to the relationships that you have. And to your point, get really clear on like, do will this thing go the distance for you? Because if you get tired or you're like, gosh, I really don't care about these widgets anymore. Like it's game over because you have to have this like intrinsic motivation that is frankly delusional in some like, like entrepreneurs are delusional. <laughs> like what, what they think they can do is often not a match for reality, but what's the thing that like you care so much about that? Like it doesn't feel like work. It lights you up. You get energy from talking about it. You don't get drained. You get energy from working on it. And that's what I did before I started We Are Rosie. I made a list of like the times in my life where I felt the most alive. Like when were the times in my life where I was doing like I'm using air quotes work, but I could have done it until 3 a.m. with a mm. baby at home and not cared because it it was giving me energy. And and it for me personally, it was always being in service of people from marginalized backgrounds. It was work I had done with um, recently resettled refugees in Atlanta and women with postpartum depression, which is something I've dealt with. Um, and I was like, gosh, man, I love creating opportunity and access for people that, you know, are overlooked by our society. And that is like my personal why. That's like my sole mission. So figure out what yours is, you know, pay attention to the times in your life where you're really lit up and then find ways to do more of that and just open that door, even if it's, you know, baby steps at first, but give yourself the opportunity to do more of that. Fantastic. My mission is to encourage people who have that urge to do something for themselves to to build the confidence to do it and I think you've just shared some amazing advice to help them do that Steph thanks so much for your time today it's been a great pleasure to speak to you yes thank you so much this was so much fun Ollie I really appreciate you having me on and that was my conversation with Stephanie what a great story some really inspiring stuff as I said at the top if you are a freelancer and you work in the marketing and advertising industry in the US definitely check out We Are Rosie and tomorrow check out my conversation with Jeff Kaufman another great story about why it's never too late to pivot your career and start a business so until then have a good one